really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty head over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit to make this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host. My name is David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm easy to find on all your socials. You can always just drop me an email at the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. So we are getting down to brass tacks, as they say. So let's get this thing on the road. So, starting as always with our current updates, and on the home front this week, they finally, finally finished the massive construction project here in my town, opening up the all-new library just this past Monday. So the library has been in like a temporary home for over a year now. It's been no fun at all. But at long last, we have our beautiful new space. It's very open and modern, though they're still putting a few finishing touches on it. There's a lot of empty shelves still as well, so I think they're still in the process of just getting all the books back from their temporary home, a time-consuming project, as I know from experience. So my son, of course, is very, very happy about this, and we've already made a couple of trips to check out the space, as well as all the you know cool Halloween stuff they're highlighting this month. So that led me to create a little fall library tour document, with the idea being he and I will visit 10 libraries this autumn, and we'll give them each a rating of like how much we like it, make a list of what we borrowed and how much we did or didn't like those books and so on. I know, this is probably venturing into the realm of the super nerdy, but hey, I mean, that's where I live. Cut me some slack. He's stupid! People have to know! No, Isa, and I'm not even going to joke about it. It is definitely not good news for Australian fans. So quoting here from the Wide World of Sports, which I didn't know his website, um, quote, Eddie Jones looks set to resign from his post as Wallaby's head coach. According to Japanese outlet Sponichi, Jones is expected to be confirmed as Japan's new head coach. It comes just days after Australia was sensationally knocked out of the Rugby World Cup after Portugal's one-point win over Fiji. Jones has been the subject of intense speculation after the Sydney Morning Herald revealed he had been secretly interviewed for the Japan job in the lead-up to the World Cup. On Tuesday, Rugby Australia CEO Phil Waugh addressed Jones' future, saying the governing body wouldn't be sacking the head coach. It seems that option has been taken out of their hands with Jones to decide his own fate. Jones is currently contracted to Rugby Australia until the end of 2027, which could see him coach the Wallabies through a British and uh, Irish Lions series and another Rugby World Cup. Swapping and changing coaches all the time is not the solution, which is why we're going through the strategic reset of alignment across the whole system, said Wa on 2GB's Wide World of Sports Radio. It's been a pretty tough time for Eddie, coming in at a time when we were seventh in the world when he came in. Right now we're ninth or tenth, so the need to fix this. Uh, so we need to fix the system. It's been socialized that we're been pretty poor in Super Rugby, and we haven't won the Bledisloe Cup for 20 years, and it's been a gradual decline. It's a time where we need to come together as a rugby family and solve for the strategic solution, which is very much around alignment and centralization. One of the most overwhelming pieces since I've come into the role is that there's a lot of good people that want rugby to do well as a game and as a governing body. We need to build trust with our stakeholders, and that's what we aim to do. So far, the Jones reign has lasted all nine test matches since joining at the start of this year. In that time, Australia have won twice against second-tier teams, Georgia and Portugal. 
perhaps most embarrassing was being beaten by Michael Cech's Argentina at home, losing a tight contest 34 to 31. They lost twice to New Zealand 38-7 and 23-10 to uh, <clears throat> to 20. The second test against an understrength All Blacks to continue a 20-year drought without winning the Bledisloe Cup. Unsurprisingly, Australia lost to France 41-17, to but were stunned by Fiji 22-15 to and Wales 40-6, to putting them on course to bow out of the Rugby World Cup before the quarterfinals for the first time. Australia dropped from 7th to an all-time low 10th in the world rack- rankings, under Jones, unquote, I'm not going to lie, I think this is the worst. Rugby is better when Australia is good. And this just seems like a crippling move. I, I get it. I can see the argument that he's already you know, made them worse. So it, getting rid of him can't make anything even worse. But And yes, you're right. His, his record around this time is abominable. But a revolving door of coaches, that is death for any organization. The man promised he was going to do certain things. He's failed to do any of them. It's an absolute embarrassment. And by the way, why would Japan want him right now? Eddie Jones, you are a jerk of worldly proportions. Wallabies fans, well, I mean, like I just said, can't really get any worse, can it? So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my my thoughts this week were about some news in regards to the Gallagher Premiership this season. So last week, I mentioned how the Rugby Network had announced they were carrying the Prem this year. And since they provide great content for free, I really appreciated that. Um, More exposure here in the States, you know, easy access, no cost. It all looked great. I actually didn't think it would affect me personally because the Prem was already carried on Peacock, which I subscribe to because it's where you get things like the World Cup and also Six Nations and all the internationals in the fall and in the summer. However, just in the last couple of days, I discovered two important things. One, Peacock does not seem to be carrying the Prem this year. Um, They still have replays available from all of last season. Uh, But if they're adding fixtures for this year, they definitely haven't done so as of right now. And the other thing is, the Rugby Network is providing coverage of the Prem. And it is free for this month. Once November rolls around, that's it. You need to, to pay to keep watching. I can tell you right now, I don't know if I'll be doing that. It, it feels very bait and switchy to me. Um, frankly, the Prem's not that great. And so paying for yet another subscription fee to watch it. Uh, I mean, I've already got the URC in the top 14. Rugby Network, I still love you, and I'm grateful for all you do. But I think this move might backfire, and the net loss will be the popularity of the sport here in the U.S., something we cannot afford with a home Rugby World Cup just eight years away. Just saying. Okay, that, of course, brings us to our reviews, and obviously, we'll be starting with the Rugby World Cup. And... We're down to the quarterfinals, which is great news in terms of the matches that we got to see this weekend. But of course, bad news when you realize that, you know, as of Friday evening, we only had eight more games heading into Saturday. You know, and one of those games is the type of game that only people like me tend to watch. So, okay, I've I've tried pretty hard not to complain about the weird draw this time around, but it's definitely impacted these final rounds. So... Not even going to kvetch about Scotland being thrown to the dogs in their pool while teams like England have advanced without playing a single team in the top five. What I'm really talking about is how the semis will unfold. So because of this draw, two of the top four teams in the world cannot make a semifinal no matter what they do. And we're going to be left with at least two teams that could be ranked as low as ninth heading into the penultimate weekend. You know, 
it's interesting because like in the NFL, the, the best weekend of the year is typically the conference finals where it's four teams vying for shots at the Super Bowl. But here, the, the semis were shaping up to be, they are shaping up to be potentially boring. Um, there's just no way Wales, Argentina, England, or Fiji would stand a chance against Ireland, New Zealand, France, or South Africa. So <clears throat> heading into this weekend, it looked like this could be the round of the tournament. And so Saturday, kicking things off. It was, in fact, Wales versus Argentina. And since the first time Wales toured Argentina back in 1968, these teams had played each other 24 times, with the Welsh generally winning like two out of every three. Wales were 15 wins to seven against Los Pumas, with two draws sprinkled in there. The last of one of which, uh, the last of which was only just a couple of years ago. And of course, they'd split the two subsequent features before this weekend. Argentina. They looked a lot sharper than they have recently out of the gate. But that Welsh defense, man, oh, man, they are a solid wall right now. The Pumas decided to go for points early rather than continuing to bash their heads against the immovable object of Wales. But Buffelli slipped it just wide and we remained locked at nil. Wales, to me, they looked fantastic on attack themselves, at least for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. A beautiful sequence. Saw Dan Bigger getting through for the first score of the day. Jakob Piper found himself hobbled during that process, eventually being replaced on the field by Carl Dixon. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. doesn't ring a bell. Anyway, side note, what the heck was happening with the Welsh kit? Almost every single number was off or mostly peeled off, like by the quarter hour mark. Did someone try to save a few bucks or something? In any event, bigger. He added a number three as Argentina seemed to deflate a little bit. And the, their form from earlier seemed to have uh, seemed to leave them by the half hour mark. Friend of the pod, Robbie Nock, did that thing I love where he spotted a play that was about to happen off a scrum, pointing out an unusual spot for Lewis Reese And sure enough, and it ran a really cool little play through him. They did end up knocking it on, but would they bust that one out again later? I put down way too many question marks in my notes after that. A scrum penalty, though, to Las Pumas as we got under five minutes in the half, set up a nice little kick and their first real opportunity in some time. They needed to get on the board before the break to hold on to any hope, I felt. Another side note, I love having the so-called shot clock for kicks. But for me, they're just not really doing it right. Like, we never see the start of the clock. We only see it when it gets down to, like, 15 seconds. I just I just don't think it should be a surprise. It should be a, just a lot more obvious and transparent for me. Anyway, Boff doesn't really have to worry about the shot clock, however. He's always right on it. In Argentina, we're on the board at last. A chaotic end to the half as Josh Adams threw a cheap shoulder charge off the ball. And the officials... <laughs> They said he had attempted a rap. I'm not sure what they saw there that looked in any way like a rap, but it was another easy penalty <clears throat> for Buffelli, who made it 10-6 to 6 at the intermission. Those points, I thought, could be critical in a close one like this. So it was minute 48 when Buffelli split the posts from, like, Germany. He was way out there, but... It was perfect in Los Pumas. They had their first lead of the day. The Welsh fans visibly tensing up in the stadium as the Argentines celebrated. But it didn't take long for, sorry, I, I think it was Thomas Williams. I was kind of distracted that moment, um, retaking the lead for the men in red. And honestly, it was anyone's game at that point. It was 17 to 12 as we found ourselves in the final quarter of the first quarterfinal. And uh, the, the comms said, you can hear the nerves jingle jangling around. What a game. Argentina had two consecutive chances right on the try line, but just couldn't get it done. But another offside penalty gave them another shot. Number 17 took advantage with a bone-crushing try. The comms said it best, quote, Buffelli is calm, 
cool and collected, unquote. And his extras put Los Pumas back on top with about 10 minutes to go. Are you kidding me? This was the first game of the weekend? Holy cow. Anyway, legends were then coming onto the field for Argentina with Crevy and Sanchez. Welcome sights to the faithful on hand. Felt like the momentum had swung completely in their favor. But, of course, I had a feeling when that happens, that just means that you're a surprised Luis Reese's Amit breakaway from defeat. And then, man, for, for a brief moment, I thought I was like Mr. Rugby Oracle, as Wales did, in fact, break out wide. And Zamet was herring for the corner, but got hacked into touch just before he could dot it down. And then, oh my word, Nick Sanchez, Argentina's all-time leading scorer, added to his total with the biggest try of the tournament. And that, my friends, was that. Wales, hopes dashed. Los Pumas stunning the world with a desperate and beautiful victory in Marseille. I was in shock. And it was 17-29 to 29 at full-time. Just an incredible match. The big stat for me, 7-1 to one turnovers in favor of Argentina. That was a big number for me, and I don't know, may have made the difference. So later on that day, we had, oh my gosh, Ireland versus New Zealand. The online war of words had been raging all week. The history of this matchup is still heavily slanted in favor of the Kiwis, with the All Blacks winning 30 to Ireland's 5, with just a single draw between them. But that balance of power between these teams had shifted dramatically in recent years. Ireland winning three of the last four. What a start. It was a 30-phase drive by the ABs to end up nabbing three points while Ireland put in, not even joking, 41 tackles in just seven minutes. Was was that the game plan today? Not going to lie, I was too tightly wound to take that many notes as this one went on, but it was a crusher for me to see Ireland pull within one as we headed into the break after a yellow card to Aaron Smith for what they ruled was an intentional knock-on. A little side note, I honestly think we need a little little bit of clarity around that rule. Like the, the rule makes sense to me. I think the intent is obviously to keep players from just sort of swiping at balls to knock them down and spoil attacking patterns, obviously. But instinctively reaching out, desperately hoping to intercept a ball mid-pass, as Aaron Smith clearly was, it just that doesn't feel like 10 minutes in the bin to me. Just really rough. Anyway, as I said, I had to put away the old notepad for this one. It was just too intense, too good. And by early in the second half, my entire family had organically sort of gathered around to be swept up in the proceedings. Must have lost my mind like six times as the momentum swung back and forth again and again. With the ABs up four in the final minutes, I felt 100% certain that Johnny Sexton would engineer a last-second drive to win it. But after, no joke, 38-plus phases, I think I think they said eventually 39 phases, New Zealand, Sam Whitelock, finally turned them over to seal the deal. An absolute instant classic and a shocker for me to be fair. I, I mean, to be honest, I was over the moon. So just to be clear, I think Ireland were well-deserved to be listed as number one in the world. They earned it. They were absolutely that. Um, when I was lucky enough to chat with the legendary Bernard Jackman last year, he told me he truly believed they would get past the quarterfinals for the first time this year, and I 100% believed him. Seeing players I love, like Bundy Aki, in tears at the end, even seeing Sexton's little boy out there weeping, that really moved me. But I, I also think they've been pretty cocky and pretty arrogant and, frankly, pretty obnoxious, pretty much from the first test they won down in New Zealand. And I was glad to see them bow out here. I'm not here to dance on their grave or anything, but after all the complaining, the getting away with some types of cheating and the foul play, all the everything, and this is obviously just my opinion, 
I was hugely satisfied to see the quarterfinal curse continue. Rant over. Uh, final score, amazingly, 24 to 28 for the All Blacks, and they would move on to face Argentina in the semis. I was completely exhausted already. So on Sunday, we had England versus Fiji. I felt like almost anything could happen in this one. On one hand, they've seemed pretty evenly matched, you know, at least at this particular moment in time, but I could easily see either side completely blowing out the other as well. Just one of those times when your head gives up trying to think about it too much and you just kind of say, you know what, I'm going to sit back and just let my eyes tell me how this one ends up. Uh, that uncertainty was, of course, magnified by the sight of Matthew Raynal on the whistle. That's always good for at least one, what was that, type of moment. Um, once again, this was a matchup that the English had never lost, going a perfect 10-0 since they first met in 1973. A few weeks ago, I would have said that Fiji were intent on creating some new records during this World Cup, but the steam seemed to have left them as they dropped one to Portugal just last week. So, it took almost 11 minutes, but it was Owen Farrell getting a side on the board first, but Fiji had already shown some flash. Would they be able to string it all together? As if an answer, Tuolangi was like, watch this, spinning his way into the corner for the first try of the day. But right at the end of the first quarter, Fiji opened their own account, making it 8-3. to three. By the half-hour mark, however, Lamani had already left six points wanting. Felt like that might matter, especially with a man in the bin. In fact, as Bill Mata threw a dummy that fooled even the camera operators and sliced through for their first try, those six points would have seen them taking the lead rather than being behind 15 to 10. So a couple more kind of brain-dead penalties saw England go into the break up 21 to 10. Fiji would need some, to find something to get back on the path and maintain any sense of hope. They were, they were already just looking a little off for me. However, the start of the, second, uh, the, the final quarter, right as I was rummaging around for my game over stamp, suddenly, out of nowhere, it was two bang-bang tries right in a row. We were locked at 24 with 10 minutes to play. The incessant braying of Sweet Chariot silenced for the moment. In answer, uh, Owen Farrell, he perfectly slotted a drop goal. Would drop goals again make the difference for England in this World Cup? So after yet another incredible breakaway run from Ben Earl, who was unbelievable on the day, Fiji were whistled for another penalty and England looked to have a chance to slap a ribbon on this one. It took until a good five minutes past halftime, but they got that critical final turnover that was a wrap on the tournament for the Flying Fijians. 30-24 to 24 was your final score. Don't forget those six points they left on the field in the first half. This was an ending that didn't have to happen. So now we just had to wait and see who England would be facing next week. What? A weekend. Holy cow. And then, finally, the match I was most looking forward to this weekend. It was France versus South Africa. Over the years, the Springboks hadn't exactly dominated Les Bleus, but they still held a nice margin, 27 wins to 12, with six draws as well, though none since 2005. In the last three meetings, it was 2-1 to one in, in France's favor, but every single one of those games could have gone either way, with the points differentials being 1, 3, and 4. Just eight total points separating these teams since November of 2017. The big news that definitely wasn't news was Antoine Dupont, his return to the roster. He looked completely fine, even showed some uncharacteristic smiles ahead of time, sort of casually joking about the weather with Sia Khaleesi prior to the coin toss. Opposite him, I was a bit surprised to see Kobus Reinach getting the, the start for the box. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love that guy, but I thought at this stage of his career, he was more of a, like a in-case-of-emergency-break-glass kind of guy. Anyway, this one had exactly what you wanted, right? Physicality. 
ruthless execution, dazzling passes, lightning pace from the back, strategic kicking, vicious work at the breakdown. It was a clash of the titans, if you'll forgive the horrible cliche. Tied at 12, Ramos, who had shockingly already missed a penalty kick, got charged down on his conversion attempt by legendary flyer Cheslin Colbe, who appeared to be in like nine places at once throughout the entire first half. By the way, a little update. As of Monday, I've heard a lot of people saying he had to have started his charge down uh, early for it to have even been possible. But at the time, the comms and I both felt like, wow, that was something. So Colby, he then showed his ludicrous speed with a, a broken play to grab the lead once more. But it was Cyril Bai powering over again to level the scores after the half hour mark. Um, there was an incredible sort of microcosmic moment, too, when Khaleesi had what looked like an easy steal at the breakdown, but Dupont just outmuscled him to retain possession. With under five minutes in the opening stanza, we were no close, uh, closer to guessing who was going to take this prize. Side note, Movaka, by the way. Man, how is that guy possibly the hooker? The way he plays, it makes you think that the one in front of the two on his back like fell off or something ahead of time. Maybe his kit was made by whales. I don't know. The man has every conceivable skill. Oof, right before halftime, Etzebeth, he got dinged for a head-on-head to Weenie Antonio, and he was off to the bin. It felt like that could be huge. That gave Ramos another free shot. France found themselves ahead as we headed into the break. As is their want, the box brought in a raft of replacements just five minutes into the second half. And I noticed that Fath, he, Fath had, had the, uh, the lab cook up a nice new shade of platinum for the occasion. I imagine that if things didn't work out for him today, he'd still get plenty of gigs in, like, a poison cover band. So, Eben, my triceps are so big they have orbiting moons. Etzebeth, he was back on the field, but momentum remained in favor of Les Bleus. As we entered the final quarter, the Springboks started to look a bit panicked, down six and struggling for purchase. But then, speak of the devil, it was Etzebeth rumbling his way through for his sixth international try right next to the posts. Suddenly... South Africa had found ascendancy, the crowd howling with derision. A subsequent penalty saw Andre nailing another long ranger to make it 25-29 to 29 as we crossed the 10-minute mark. Another pen from Ramos did make it a one-point game, but my friends, that's where it would end. South Africa just, just managing to put the French to bed, a crushing end for Dupont and his charges. I had to wonder how much the wind would be taking out of the, the next two weekends as well there in France. A massive result, and one that obviously screwed up my ultimate prediction as well. So, twenty-eight to twenty-nine was your fatal final score on Paris. For me, it looked like we were headed for a battle to determine who would get four Web Ellis trophies first. What a tournament it's been! Okay, switching gears and heading down to New Zealand for the NPC, and we were all the way down to the semi-finals in the National Provincial Championship. I was very excited. I sent Free Jacks and Hawks Bay legend Joel Hintz a message congr- uh, congratulating him on his upset win over Bay Plenty just last week. And I got the perfect rugby response, quote, we've earned another week, unquote. Love it. So things got underway on Friday where another bunch of Free Jacks would find themselves hoping to make it two championships in one calendar year. We began with Taranaki hosting Canterbury. The last time uh, Taranaki hosted a semifinal was in 2017 which was also the last time Canterbury won the title. So this matchup was fully loaded. Side note, I can't believe I didn't mention it before, but before the games, Taranaki, right, they send out their big mechanical, like, Zamboni bull thing. It sort of drives around the field, puffing smoke from its nostrils. It's great. I have mentioned that thing before, I know, but I failed to mention that when he comes out, 
they play Fanfare for the Common Man by Aaron Copeland over the PA system, which I don't know. I was like, wow, that's just a nice touch. So speaking of music, if you were watching the midfield advertisements, right now you'd probably be purchasing your tickets to see Matchbox 20 with special guests Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> it was a bit surprising to see an ad like for a concert at all on the field, much less one that doesn't happen for almost five full months, but there you go. Anyway, I was disappointed to see Patras again coming off the bench for this one. But by the way, they, they praised Jackham, uh, Jacob, I think it is, um, playing at 10 in this one throughout the first half. I mean, what do I know, right? So also absent again was Jesse the Pest Peretti. I still haven't heard anything about that. You'd think like he'd be on the sidelines cheering for his team if he was injured. I wish I knew what was happening with that guy. So a very close game we had as it unfolded with the Bulls holding a slight edge 11 to 9 as we went into the break. Then around the 55-minute mark, Patras, he finally came in. The comms referred to him as the Mercurial Jason Patras. Love it. He is now officially the Finn Russell of the NPC. So this one it kept me right on the edge of my seat. Taranaki leading 20 to 16 with just five minutes to go. And after a perfect strike by Perifetta, they had a full seven-point margin with just 121 seconds remaining on that clock. Canterbury did have one last shot, securing a lineout just inside the Bulls' 22 after the clock showed red, but Taranaki turned them over, and that was that. The team from New Plymouth beating their old nemesis to advance to the final, 23-16. to What a game, and what a year for Jason Patras, eh? On Saturday, it was a David and Goliath matchup on paper, but then again, the Magpies were the only team to take down the defending champions this entire year. Could they do it again? It was, of course, Wellington at home for Hawks Bay on Saturday. I'm sure the Bulls would be watching closely as a win for Hawks Bay would net them a home final. It would also mean I had no clue who to root for, given the Free Jacks connections on both sides. So Hawks Bay, they had lost Brad Weber very late in the lead up to this one. Tuu was also a last minute scratch. So their day got harder before it even started. Making things difficult for both sides also, there was a massive swirling wind. They showed us great shots of flags whipping about in all different directions. I wondered how much that was going to affect their game plans. They did show us a great stat. that Hawks Bay led the competition in tries scored in the opening 10 minutes with 8 on the year, but this did not look like a high-scoring contest based on the conditions. So, a yellow card against the hosts saw the Magpies draw level at 3 with close to 20 minutes gone, and then... My guy, Chase Tiatia, a seriously shifty bit of footwork, and he corkscrewed his way in for a Hawks Bay lead. And then he was off again, a, breakaway, a breakaway out wide, McClutchy making it 3-18 to in Wellington. All I could think was, no, Hawks Bay, you don't lead at the half. You trail by two or three scores. That's how you win. I, I, I'm well aware that's complete hokum, but it did make me a little worried that the mojo would be against them in the second half. So Tiatia. He was in again. I mean, the man saved this performance for this particular evening. A hat trick for the veteran to put the fear into the hosts once again. The atmosphere intensifying at 10 to 25. The crowd hushed. On the screen, they mentioned Hawks Bay had won their last three away games as well. And when Wellington botched a lineout with like seven minutes left, man, it was over. Even I didn't see this one coming. And Hawks Bay found themselves punching their ticket to the final. And then... I heard my favorite comment of the year in the NPC. They said, I'm sure Joel, I'm sure Joel Hintz is very happy, but his face just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> that couldn't be more apt. Wellington, unused to losing, laid it all out and made it 24 to 25, but that was all. It was history for the Magpies making an NPC final for the first time ever, if I heard them right. 
has there ever been a better weekend of rugby than this one? And then moving over to the Premiership. That's right. Somehow I find it really hard to believe, but the Prem is back. It all kicked off Friday, the Friday the 13th, in fact, with what I'm calling the Crystal Lake Clash featuring the Bristol Bears versus the Leicester Tigers. My friends, it was not a good start for the new home of the Prem. The Rugby Network as the stream, it was truly, truly awful quality, at least it was watching it live. It was, I mean, I'm not exaggerating here. It was as if somebody was standing there throwing waves of pixelated goo all over the screen again and again. It was, I'm not even exaggerating. It was totally unwatchable. If the plan is get people hooked, then charge them for it. I don't think three rounds of unwatchable action while missing a lot of international players will bait that particular hook, you know? Uh, anyway, my hope was the live stream's terrible, but... Maybe the replays will be all right, maybe? Okay, after that, I do need to insert the little exchange I had on Friday night about this very thing. So by like eight or nine o'clock at night, there was no re uh, replay available and they wouldn't respond to my questions about the quality of the stream. I was just fully ready to just, just junk it and say, okay, no prem this year. But then, give them credit, they got back to me. They said they knew exactly what it was that had caused the stream to be such garbage. They said they had fixed the issue. They felt confident it wasn't going to uh, reoccur again. And then later on, the replay also did become available. And as I'd hoped, it looked totally fine. So I'm still on the fence about paying for it. But for now, we were all good. Anyway, the opening fixture, Bristol. They looked very good with Ibatoye nabbing a brace and leading his Bears to an opening night win, 25-14. to 14. The Tigers still look rudderless uh, ever since losing, you know, like their entire coaching staff. A.G. McGinty was back in action, but limped off after a half hour. The man can't get a break. No word on that yet, but here's to a speedy recovery for him, of course. For our Saturday fixtures, we started out with Exeter versus Saracens. It was an absolute butt-kicking Exeter, securing a bonus point in just 17 minutes and never letting up the rest of the way. With, I think it was 10 tries in all, they obliterated the series 65-10 to 10 by the end. A record loss for Saracens, by the way. What a statement for their home opener, right? So next up, it was Bath versus Newcastle, and unfortunately... Another misstep from the Rugby Network, as that replay was actually Gloucester versus Harlequins. Guys, not a good start. So I, I looked it up, and it was 34-26 to 26 for the home team, Bath versus Newcastle, that is. I do understand that also there was a bit of controversy involved, but I guess that will have to remain a mystery to me. As I said, Gloucester versus Harlequins, that finished off the Saturday fixtures, and it was a good one. Gloucester down four in the closing moments, but with a golden opportunity to steal it, it was a bit bizarre, as the ref awarded a try he had absolutely no way of seeing, and Quinns were going nuts asking for a review after what felt like six days of slow-mo replays, and because there were no actual angles that showed the ball, they had to stick with the on-field call. Bit of a screw job for the Harlequins, I have to say. Uh, I honestly think that thing that players do when they celebrate as if a try has been scored, whether they know one has or not, I think that won them this match. They did the, yeah! with arms raised thing and the ref was like oh okay try time and then there was no evidence to the contrary bizarre but 29 to 28 was your final score and then sunday brought us sale versus northampton the sharks started well at home in this one 20 to 15 to finish off the first round of the gallagher premiership it's back baby 
Well, by the music, you will know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award again goes to Artie Savia. Mr. Savia, you've found yourself winning this award at least a couple of times before now. But this one, this weekend, it was it was special. You put in yet another 80 minutes of solid aggression while picking up and exhorting your teammates to greater heights the whole while. You had a turnover on defense, a try on offense, just to epitomize how important you are to this team in every aspect of the game. Sir, you are a wonder out there. Artie Savia, once again, congratulations to you for you are this week's Diamond in the Rough. Well done. Okay, of course, it's time for our updates and previews, and we are down to the very shortest of strokes for the World Cup. I'm already missing all the fun and fanfare that goes along with it. There's, there's obviously just nothing like it. So for 2023, we're down to the semifinals, which will, of course, be Argentina facing New Zealand. I'm not kidding when I say the Pumas might sneak up on them in this one. There's a definite chance for a looking ahead to next week factor for the Kiwis, for me. Um, I do wonder if Michael Cheka is going to kind of sniff that out as well and have a little extra spice in the plan. But anyway... England, after that, will then hopefully faithfully reprise their performance of the World Cup four years ago, facing a weirdly unpredictable Springbok side. And the Rassi voodoo may be in full effect. Then we've got the grand final for the National Provincial Championship in New Zealand, where it's Taranaki hosting Hawks Bay. Whoever ends up champions, the Free Jacks are big winners. And then we're on to round two of the Gallagher Premiership. Looks like they're going to be pretty much sticking with this format of one Friday game, three on Saturday, and one on Sunday which means this week on Friday it's Newcastle versus Gloucester, followed by Saracens versus Bath, Northampton versus Bristol, and Leicester versus Sale on Saturday. Then on Sunday, a match that would look a lot more tempting if either team had their top players available, but it's going to be Harlequins versus Exeter from the Twickenham Stoop. And then, guess what? That's right, it's the return of the URC. A couple of changes I noticed ahead of time, by the way. One, Zebra have uh, rebranded their logo. Not sure that was the problem. Uh, And the Sharks are now the Hollywood Bets Sharks. And that will be the first and only time I ever say that out loud. Ugh. So, no Friday fixtures this opening round. They're going with a 6-2 split. Uh, So on Saturday, it's going to kick off with Zebra versus Ulster, Connacht versus Ospreys, Dragons versus Edinburgh. Obviously, Edinburgh will have a lot of their internationals available. Oh, wow. I just kind of hurt my own feelings there. Anyway, then it's going to be the Lions versus the Stormers, our first South African derby, Cardiff versus Benetton, and Munster versus the Sharks. The Sunday matches will be the Bulls versus the Scarlets, and we'll wind out the opening round with Glasgow versus Leinster. It's all happening, man. (sighs) Well, my friends, that does it for yet another week. A little bit bumfuzzled by all this club action that's suddenly taking shape while there's still this greatest of all platforms continuing to unfold. I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to sort through it all, I guess. In the meantime, however, I mean, these last two weekends in the World Cup, they've been like out-of-body experiences. I can't wait for the final couple of rounds. So to all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon and be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, it does, neat. <laughs>